Good evening. Well, tonight, brothers and sisters, we we got a lot to talk about. We got a lot to talk about. We we're gonna be chewing some meat tonight, as as my grandparents used to say back in the day. We're gonna be chewing some meat. How many of you have ever been to a Brazilian steakhouse? Yes, I'm in the minority. Well, me and Allie, a couple years ago, we went down to Orlando, and we just had to go to a Brazilian steakhouse, not because my wife is from Brazil, but just because, you know, of what you hear about it, of the good food, and, you know, and we go in, and, you know, I, I got to admit, I was not impressed with the prices to eat there, but, but, she assured me it was good food, and, you know, the customary thing is that if your plate is empty, they will, all, they will continue to come around and put meat on it. Oh, I said, okay. They said, and the, guy, the waiter was like, you know, if you don't want any food, make sure your plate's not empty because we'll keep coming. I said, like, oh. everybody says that there's no way they do it. Sure enough. And, and back then, you know, I was a lot thinner than I am now. I mean, back then I was like 208, 212. Now I'm like 240. But back then I was, you know, I was in shape. I, I knew I could, you know, I know I could put down. I was going to put down $40 worth of meat. I was going to make sure that I got my money's worth. And so they bring the first round, the sirloin around, and that was good, and that was good. Cleaned off my plate, here comes some lamb. And then got that done, and here came some ribs. And got that done, and here comes some brisket. And by that time, by that time, I'm looking like I'm, I'm about to have a child. And they just keep coming. So it got to the point where, got to the point where I put my napkin and my fork and my spoon and the salt and the pepper on my plate so they'd stop bringing stuff. So tonight... We're going to be chewing some meat. And before we get to that, though, last Sunday night as I was sitting and singing and enjoying the, the song service, Chuck got up here and he threw a mathematical question at me. Now, little to Chuck's knowledge, I didn't take Common Core math, so I'm, pretty, I'm, I'm decent at it. So I got some math questions for Chuck tonight. So, Chuck, what is zero plus one? What's 2 minus 1? What's the square root of 1? All right. 1. 1, 1. And that leads us to another 1 that we're going to talk about tonight. Tonight, our main emphasis is going to be in Ephesians chapter 4. The main, the main uh, scripture tonight is going to be Ephesians 4 and verses 4 through 6. And in verses 4 through 6 of Ephesians 4, we talk about, Scripture talks about the seven ones. The seven ones. But, but before we get to them, before we get to them, I'm going to ask you to turn to two other verses. If you will, turn over to Romans chapter 15, and we're going to be looking at verses 5 through 7. Now, we're going to be talking about a lot of scriptures, so, uh, so just bear with me. Starting in verse 5, Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus that you may with one mind and with one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, receive one another, just as Christ also received us, to the glory of God. Now, did you catch what Scripture was saying there? One another, one mind, one mouth, one another. And right in the heart of this concept of unity, we have the blessed joy of our with one mouth, glorifying God. You see, brothers and sisters, the key to God's people 
truly glorifying Him as God's people being one. And I'm so thankful that here at Lake Park we have that unity. We have a congregation of peace, of love, of harmony. And it's a great place to serve the Lord together, but we have to be constantly reminded that that's the way that God wants it to remain. And for us to truly glorify God, we must continue to be of the same mind with one another, of the same mouth with one another. In Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 21, Scripture says, To him be the glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. You see, Ephesians 3 closes with, the, closes with this idea of the church glorifying God. And then if you look at how Ephesians begins in chapter 1, it's, it's, it starts with a pivot. And it joins what Paul's about to say, which includes the seven ones to the idea of the church glorifying God. So here we are in the church. We are to glorify God. And with that in mind, Paul breaks into a writing that alerts us to dispositions that are essential to unity. In verses 1 through 3, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Those are the dispositions. Those are the dispositions that Paul writes about before he gets to the positions that are required for unity. And they're just as important. But tonight, even though they're important, our attention is more concerned with those positions that we read about in verses 4 through 6. Starting in verse 4, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. There are seven ones. There is one body. You see, there are different types, different kinds of bodies. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says there are celestial bodies. And there are bodies that are bodies terrestrial. All sorts of bodies. And as I look around this auditorium, I see tall bodies. I see short bodies. I see Skinny bodies, I see not so skinny bodies. But, but, we, but the, uh, Paul says there is only one. There is only one and he identifies it for us when it comes to the spiritual body of Jesus Christ. In Ephesians 1 and verses 22 through 23, Scripture says, And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church. Uh, I'm sorry, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The one body essential to unity from which we glorify God is the one church. It's, it's not a denomination. It's not composed of denominations. It's a body of people composed of individuals who have done what God says do to be members of his spiritual family. It's the called out body. It's the church. Ephesians 2 and verses 14 through 16, For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, 
that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. One body, one body, body of the church. One church where Jew and Gentile can have fellowship with God. If you look at Ephesians 5 and verses 23 through 32, no less than 13 times in, in those verses, there's references made to the singularity of the body, the one body, the church, the one church where salvation is located. And if you look particularly in Ephesians 5 and verse 23, we, depending on your translation, you see certain terms like the church, the body, savior of the body, savior of the church. And if I want to tonight to claim Jesus as my Savior, if I want to have the hope of salvation, I must belong to the one body. I must belong to the church that I read about in the Bible. There is one body. Interestingly, the, the word body is used nine times in Ephesians. The word church is used eight times in Ephesians. You see, Ephesians is a six-chapter book that repeatedly directs our attention to the New Testament church as God's plan for man. Wherein salvation is located by the blood of Jesus. There is one body. There's also one spirit. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 14 tells us that angels are ministering spirits. You and I are spirits. That is, we're souls that are that are housed within bodies. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul, Paul writes about the inward man housed within the outward man. But in our passage and throughout the book of Ephesians, attention is drawn to the one Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. In Ephesians 1 and verse 13, Scripture says, In Him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And that, that verse there brings to mind the words of Acts chapter 2 and verses 38 and 39, which reads, Then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. You hear those terms, gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise, sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is, which is a down payment earnest of our inheritance. These, these verses, they remind me that that because of what God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit has done, I can belong to Him, to them, and have as the earnest, the salvation, the seal of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 2, Ephesians 2 and verse 18 says, For through Him we both have access by one Spirit to the Father. Now, how does that, how does that take place? Turn over to chapter 3 of Ephesians. 
in verses 1 through 5. Scripture says, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his, body, to his holy apostles and prophets. So now let's put those two thoughts together. And let's see, let's see, where, uh, see the flow of the, of, the, of the context. Through Jesus Christ, we have access to the Father by one Spirit, because that one Spirit revealed the mystery of the Gospel to Paul, which, he can, which we can read, understand, and then obey. When I obey that revealed message of the Holy Spirit, through that means I'm granted access to the Father. Ephesians 3 and verse 16 says that He would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with might through His Spirit in the inner man. But how, but how does the Holy Spirit strengthened me with power. That's what it said. But how does it strengthen me with power? Well, we can find that answer in Ephesians chapter 6. In Ephesians 6, in verses 10 through 11, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. You see, each weapon, each weapon in the panoply of God is indirectly or directly attached to the concept of Scripture. Starting in verse 14 of chapter 6, Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth. John 17 and 17 says, Sanctify them, thy word is what? Truth. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Psalm 119 one, and verse 172 says, All thy commands are what? Righteousness. Having your, feet, having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. 1 Peter 1 and verse 25 says, This is the word that we preached unto you. Verse 16, Taking the shield of faith. Romans 10, 17 says, But faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Taking the shield of faith which, uh, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Do you see the power? Do you see the strength that we're talking about here? And then in verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation. Romans 1 and verse 16 says, but the gospel is God's power unto salvation. And the sword of the Spirit which is the Word of God. We are strengthened by the Spirit. But how, but how does He strengthen me? By the Word that He has revealed. So here I am sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. I have access to the Father when I obey His revealed will, and I'm strengthened day by day in my battle with the devil as I continue to use His revelation, the one spirit that Paul's talking about in Ephesians. We also have we also have one hope. 
We also have one hope, brothers and sisters. Not a multiplicity of hope, not a variety of hope. There is one hope. Ephesians 1 and verse 18 says, The eyes of your understanding being, being uh, enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? The hope of his, note that the hope of his calling is used interchangeably with the concept of the inheritance that will belong to his saints. In chapter 1 and verse 11, we are, we are made a heritage. And in verse 14 of chapter 1, there's a down payment of that inheritance. And then in verse 18 of chapter 1, we, we have a hope for that inheritance. The one hope. Peter, in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 4, he put it this way. He said, by which, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And then it comes, and then it comes to this one hope that we see in Titus, chapter one and verses in verse uh, chapter one and verse two. Which reads, in hope, of in hope of eternal life with which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began. There is one hope, brothers and sisters. And then there is one Lord. There is one, one Lord. As we read through the Old Testament, like so many of us have, over and over again we see, we see the word Jehovah, right? We see, we see the Father and he's described as he's described as Lord. And in fact, if I use the King James version of the Bible, the word Jehovah is Lord spelled in all caps. The Father, Lord. First Peter, turn over to First Peter, chapter three, and verse six. First Peter three six says, As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, calling Abraham Lord. You see, many Many have, have been given that title, Lord. But our main passage, Ephesians 4, uh, verses uh, 4 through 6, says that there's only one Lord. Even though many have been given it, there's only one Lord. And then our scripture uh, that we read in Acts chapter 2, God made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Peter said that to those who were listening that day. Jesus is the one Lord. And if I turn over to at the very beginning of Ephesians chapter 1 and verses 1 through 2, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the what? Lord Jesus Christ. The word Jesus is found alone only once in the book of Ephesians. The word Christ is found 27 times in Ephesians. The words Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus are found 13 times in Ephesians. The word, the word Lord or Lord Jesus Christ is found 21 times in Ephesians. 
And over and again, Paul is reminding us of something very simple. Jesus is Lord. He is master. He is the one that's in control. Ephesians 1 and verse 20 says that he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand, far above all principality, power, might, dominion, everything. It's all under him. He's Lord. He's in control. There's also one faith. There's also one faith. Have you ever heard, have you ever heard someone say it doesn't matter what we all believe? We're all going to go to the same place even if we get there through different faiths. You ever heard that? Have you ever heard someone describe another person? Oh, he's of a different faith. How many faiths are there? Well, according to Paul, there's one faith. There's one faith. And I read in the New Testament about those. I, in the New Testament, I can re- read about those who were, who were weak in faith. I read about those who were strong in faith. I read about those who have had little faith. But this passage in our main text says what? There's one faith. Ephesians 1 and verse 15 says, Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord, in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, the people that Paul was writing to here, they possessed that one faith. And it manifested itself in love. And we know many people today that underscore in their in their emphasis the concept of the one faith of the Bible. But the love that's attached repeatedly to that faith is absent sometimes. You see, in Christ, in Christ, circumcision doesn't avail anything but faith working through what? Love. Paul says, I'm thankful for you because I see this faith that you have, and the love that it produces. Ephesians 2, in verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. And that, that calls to remembrance Hebrews chapter 10, and verse 39. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, of those who believe to the saving of the soul. And then after that verse in Hebrews 10 and verse 39, Hebrews 11 starts and it talks about this person had this faith, right, and so and such. And it goes on proving that the faith, the faith that doesn't shrink back, the faith that saves is is active and it's obedient. And that's the faith we're reading about. In Ephesians, which produces love as well as obedience, resulting in salvation, one faith. There's also one baptism. You know, I don't know about your Bible, but in my Bible, I read, I I can read about seven that are mentioned. Did y'all know that? Y'all about ready to tap out like I did at that Brazilian steakhouse? Brittany's shaking her head. There's seven baptisms that are mentioned. There's the baptism of John, the baptism in the Holy Spirit. There's baptism of fire. There's baptism of suffering. There's baptism of unto Moses. There's a baptism for the dead. And then there's baptism in water for the washing and taking away of sin. 
seven are mentioned in my Bible, maybe yours too. But of the seven, the Holy Spirit says that only one is for us. Only one is essential for the unity that should exist between us, God's people. And as I study the book of Acts, that one is identified for me. For though, because those who underwent that one baptism in Acts, chapter, uh, chapter through and throughout the rest of the book of Acts, were individuals that were old enough to believe in Jesus. And these were individuals who had sin in their life and they needed to change from wrong to right in repentance. And individuals who submitted to this command and were immersed for the purpose of having their sins washed away. And thus the very author of Acts was told in his very own conversion in Acts, arise and be baptized and wash away your sins. Brothers and sisters, there is one baptism. And finally, I know you've been waiting. Last one. There's one God and Father of all. Isaiah chapter 45 and verse 21 says, Tell and bring forth your case. Yes, let them take counsel together. Who has declared this from ancient time? Who has told it from that time? Have not I the Lord? And there is no other God besides me, a just God and a Savior. There is none besides me. There is only one God. And notice, and notice how he's introduced to us right out of the right at, right at the beginning of this book, uh, this book of uh, Ephesians. Look at how he's introduced at the very beginning of it. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God. By the will of God, in the very first verse of, of Ephesians, God is presented as the one in control. And that's why verse 20 says, He sat Jesus at His right hand. Verse 22, He's the one that put all things under His feet. The one God and Father of all is the one that's in control. And, and look what He's like in Ephesians 2, in verses 4, and then verse 7. We see words like mercy and love and kindness, a God of grace. And as we think of him as this father of all, Ephesians 5 and verse 1 says, Therefore be imitators of God as dear children. You see, there are, there are seven ones that we talked about tonight. But there's one more. One, there's only one way, only one pathway to spend eternity with God. And that's through His Son. And if you're here tonight and you believe in the one God of the Bible, and you know that Jesus is the one Lord of the New Testament time, and you want the one hope of eternal life, and you are willing to submit your will to the revealed will of the one Holy Spirit. And out of an obedient faith, you're willing to be baptized, immersed with the one baptism of the Bible. We can help you out with that while we stand and we sing.